Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on today's programme by Morris Monk. Morris is a director at Cascade Events Limited, a company in Reading, Berkshire, which provides marquee hire and other events services. Morris, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on and speak with me. Now, leadership, I think it's fair to say, is something which is really being put to the test in the current climate, isn't it, Morris, with the COVID-19 pandemic, no less, and different business leaders having to really navigate their way through this uh, current period. Tell it me, for, some, is, yeah. Yeah, for somebody working um, in your line of work, um, especially, how has it been trying to get through the last few months? Because I can imagine it's been a tremendous challenge from the events perspective. Yes, uh, absolutely. Everything came to a stop uh, as uh, we were obliged to, as everybody did cancel, and then we were obliged to cancel all of uh, April and May, uh, June and June. It's very seasonal, our business. And June and July was uh, busy disappearing, and it was more or less disappeared now. So uh, we struggle. We, we need the summer to get through the winter, and now we've got two winters, one after the other. So the, the issues are really around about eight or nine months away. Mm, absolutely. Um, it's certainly going to be a testing uh, period um, on the horizon for sure. Um, you've already had to, of course, adapt to meeting this current period. But what do you think the long term effect on the wider industry will be as a result of this prolonged period of difficulty? Well, I think people recognise that there is a different way of being. I, I think uh, the events that we deal with will uh, be re-establish, will re-establish themselves quite quickly. Next year, there will be a very large number of weddings. People will always want weddings, and there will inevitably be funerals and what and and and, and everything else. So that that will re-establish itself. It's therefore the time to buy an events business. Um, but I do believe that other 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 businesses will have found. Other people will have found a way, a different way of working. So life will not ever return to exactly what it was. Mm, it's very much going to be changing times, isn't it? And from a leadership perspective, it's very much about adaptability and being able to sort of meet the demands of uh, that changing uh, market environment for sure. Um, from a staff perspective, uh, Morris, I'm interested to know how they have found it um, in the last uh, few weeks, because we've heard a lot of stories, haven't we, of people, whether they've had to adapt to remote working or whether they've had to continue working on site or whether they've been furloughed. They've just sort of got their heads down and got on with things. And it's really brought out the best in a lot of people, this period of adversity, if uh, you will. Um, have you sort of found that to be the case as well? Well, it seems, it, it seems to me that uh, good people will, will adapt and will come through. And we've therefore looked after, I mean, I feel somewhat fraudulent, let me initiate this by saying I feel somewhat fraudulent in this in as much as I am a caretaker of the business in the absence of my son and his uh, best friend who were who were founders of the business. But anyway, the decision would have been the same. Uh, to look after those who, who matter and have looked after us in the past, and therefore the furlough is 
a um, lifeline. And good people will, will hang on in there and will uh, come back and look after businesses again. I genuinely believe that, and, and our actions of, uh, in looking after these people and paying the additional 20% where we have done so, where some have done so, is a sensible way forward. Looking after good people is what it's about. I think you're absolutely right in what you say there, uh, Morris, from a leadership uh, perspective, certainly. It's all about, during these times, making sure that you look after those um, around you. It should be the same in at any period, uh, never mind, of course, in periods of uh, difficulty such as this. And if we think about your leadership style, that of, of course, um, your son as well, um, and uh, those who um, also help run the uh, the business, would you say that typically day-to-day, I mean, it is a very sort of family-orientated, very close-knit team felt sort of a business um, structure that you have in place there and that's the way that you go about leading i think it's the only way to go about it these days i mean the days of uh, of uh those portrayed on the apprenticeship i think have well passed um the bombastic approach to management is is um is is, is ineffective now um Still, it needs strong leadership, but uh, it needs people to, to be engaged and it needs a more understanding approach to what people are looking for. And uh, And I believe in, in giving them that, you get the best out of people. People are more engaged in businesses now and will continue to be so. And that that is nothing to do with the COVID-19. That's just how business has moved. Exactly right. And there's a degree of people management in that from a leadership perspective, isn't there? Knowing that with certain personalities, of course, a much softer approach um, is better. I mean, a draconian approach should never really be encouraged, um, in my view. But sometimes, of course, I think a little kick up the backside may motivate one or two people. Whereas for maybe the vast majority of others, that much sort of softer people orientated approach is certainly the way to get the best out of them, um, isn't it? And likewise... Yeah, yeah, they have to contribute. They they need to feel their part. Mm. They need to understand their their position in the company and the amount of difference they make. I believe it's important to give people a pride in their job. I mean, I'm more. I have been more involved in the um, hotel industry, and uh, where 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 it's important to, for people to to have a pride in what they do, and then they contribute more. And they need to understand. Uh, implicit in that is understanding the difference they make to the company, the difference they make to that thing that they know is theirs and they take pride in. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Um, it's, um, I think, vital to um, inject some confidence in people to know that their voices are being heard as well, isn't it? Because ultimately, um, in such a sort of tight, close-knit, community-felt business, uh, it's important that everybody knows that they uh, do have a voice and they do have a say in how things um, are done, really, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I, I believe that that, uh, that then um, responds to what people are looking for. They want... The, the idea of being part of a organisation where they matter, where their opinion and their effect is minimal and they matter less, is a negative. Um, has a negative uh, output. Uh, whereas when people feel engaged and they know the difference they make, 
then they make more difference. Then they're, they're more effective and more happy and more more content in, in, in where they are and, and what they're doing. And I think, um, putting it simply as well, it shows a great deal of humility from those running the business as well, doesn't it, Morris? Yes, but people still got to stick their necks out. Um, people mm. who make a difference always stick their necks out. People, people who make a difference, people who run businesses, I mean, uh, they uh, are the ones who made the mistakes. They're the ones who stick their necks out and get them cut off at times. And you, you need that just as much. You need a humility, and you need to be ready to take the hit as well. Mm. I think actually suffering one or two setbacks, maybe trying something and getting it wrong and embracing that as a learning experience is just as crucial in one's development really, isn't it? Because without... Oh, yeah, if yeah. anybody says they've never made a mistake, then you know they've never done anything either. <laughs> Exactly right. Um, it's, um, I think without that learning experience, um, we can't really hope to develop. And it's important to remember as well that it is a constant process of development, um, isn't it, I think? And we're never really the finished article as such, are we, even as leaders within a business? No, that's absolutely right. And uh, yes, you, 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 life needs, business needs people who will take the risk. And people who take the risk get uh, make, make mistakes as well. They, they uh, get uh, knocked back inevitably and it's all about responding to that setback isn't it yeah yes it is yes it is yes you uh, yeah it's not uh, it's not making a mistake because we all make them it's how you react afterwards i think that's very very important uh, to take on board indeed and if in fact uh, morris you were to give some advice to somebody who is maybe about to start their first day in a leadership or maybe management role within a business what sort of advice would you actually give them uh to be true to that they're in the one must assume that they've reached that position because of what they have done and they may need to have confidence in themselves and continue in a similar in a similar manner, um, which means having confidence in the people around them as well, and and only having people around them that they have confidence in. Um, it's and every every approach to every person who is in that in that position of embarking upon a uh, new management position is going to be influenced by their reaction to how they are spoken to and how they are handled. So a person starting in that position needs to recognize that as well in as much as they're going to be the people who will be guiding other people in the future. And don't they need to therefore understand that they're in a position that others will be in in the future? And look at it from, and look at the future. Look at the influence they're having on others in the light of how they would be if they were the person being influenced. Mm, I think there's some very, very um, important points um, there uh, for sure that you mentioned there, Morris. And if we think, continue to think about the future now before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program uh, today. 
do give me an idea of what you envision the next year holding for yourself and for the business cascade events and also what you hope to achieve not just in getting through the current COVID-19 situation but also your ambitions for beyond this current pandemic as well. Yeah, getting through the getting through it is a, is a, is a given, I understand. And uh, we we anticipate that um, when when life God, I hate talking about life returning to normal, but nonetheless, it makes sense and people understand that when life returns and people can have weddings again and functions again, then the events business is a business to be in. And uh, we, uh, I anticipate an excellent year uh, when it starts, as long as we can get to it. So having this government support uh, through through the difficulties is, is absolutely essential. And um, and uh, it needs to be recognised as such. I think it is. Mm. So I, I see a good year ahead. Absolutely. Uh, once it starts. Mm, for sure. Yeah, that's going to be the uh, the first issue when, of course, things can really start um, again uh, for Sean Morris. And I think that when we do start to see that fog lifting and things do start to um, open up again and we see that upward trajectory, hopefully, I think it would be fantastic from a listener's perspective, for sure, to perhaps even catch up and have yourself or one of the other directors on the programme just to see how things um, are getting on um, in that respect, for sure. Um it is a great shame that we are just about out of time uh, today, but I have to say, Morris, it's been a really informative and also really, really enjoyable experience having you um, on today's programme. And thank you ever so much, of course, for taking the time to come on and speak with me. It's been a real, real thank pleasure. Thank you very kind. Okay, and good luck. Thank you, uh, Morris. Do take care and do stay safe. Bye-bye. That was Maurice Monk, Director at Cascade Events Limited. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. A former professional footballer, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff and that's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, 
So Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. 
when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, and my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. 
I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one, which I won't bore you into. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, 
um, it did make and again, if you, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.